0: Welcome to Kuden, the radio show and podcast for self-defense and martial arts news, interviews, techniques, and history. Hosted by Shihan Jeffrey Miller and Shidoshi Eric White. Sheehan Miller is a 13th degree black belt and master instructor of Warrior Concepts International in Sunbury, Pennsylvania. Shidoshi Miller's martial arts career spans over 30 years and has taken him around the world to train with some of the world's best martial arts masters. Shidoshi Eric White has been a student of Sheehan Miller's for over a decade. Together, they will answer your questions, discuss techniques, history, and current issues important to you, the self-defense-minded citizen and the practicing martial artist. Submit your questions by email to warriorc at warrior-concepts-online.com. Happy Friday, everybody. Welcome to Kuden, and uh, great to have you with us. I'm Eric White, joined by Jeffrey Miller, and if there was ever a time I was going to try to sneak up on uh, Mr. Miller, now would be the time, because he's got a slight cold, so I know he's uh, he's going to... Yeah, I know,
1: but every time this I do that, good time. Thing, I just, I just want to say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to hang up and let you hang along You sound damn good. <laughs> Hell, <don't worry. laughs> smoke, and mirrors, my, smoke and mirrors, smoking mirrors. My, my throat hurts, my ears are ringing. Uh, I don't know it's just one of those things so if you if this was the time to be uh stealthy when you're not all that stealthy yeah not going
0: <laughs> well <laughs> but we're I'm glad uh, glad you're here and uh, and, yeah. and still still you making still it, for the, for it for this uh, show and and I know we get a couple of interesting questions uh, here today that we can kind of start off with. And uh, it's always good for those of you if you're if you're on the call with us right now, you're on the show, you can submit your questions either through uh, if you're on the webcast side, the little text box that uh, allows you to jump in, or. Um, you know, later, we'll, we'll try to open it up for Q&A for those of you on the phone that you can, you can get your questions in. But always, you know, through the week, if you catch this on the podcast side, you can always submit stuff through the Kuden page. So we, we try to drive you there like the Kuden page. You'll get notice on when the next episode's coming out, when we posted the latest copy of of the past episode. So that's a great way to uh, get messages to us. But uh, I know we were going to kind of start off with a question I think Josh had that um, was asking about the differences of of ninja families and their different focuses. So I know you were saying it kind of caused you to go dive into some of your history books to to pull out some info.
1: I did. (laughs) I have some (laughs) general things um, stuck in my head. But uh, Josh's question is, uh, let's see, can you please talk a little bit about what's known about non-Togakure schools of Ninjutsu? These open questions, I mean like, why open? Like, you know, <laughs> let's just jump in an industrial well, giant, you know, construction vehicles and pretend it fits on a highway. Um, right. Anyway, so, yeah, um, there's you know, there's little bits and pieces. have to be since they let little things slip here and there. Um, I have trained with a couple of folks that, uh, you know, are just historians and have dove into things. Um, what's important to understand is that, you know, a lot of these uh, – there were a couple that came out of the woodwork um, back in the 80s, you know, with Ninja Magazine and things like that. There was some guy teaching uh, – supposedly teaching Fumoryu Nijitsu, right? Uh mm. but this is one of those things where the scrolls are in museums. Right? So um see this is one of those things where his his credentials are uh highly debatable regardless of what people want to think because uh you know the, the, it was it was the like if a grandmaster or a, a lineage head, a he didn't have a successor, um he was supposed to burn the scrolls that had fallen into the wrong hands. And sometimes those things that that didn't happen, so, you know, family members would sell them off or whatever, you know, they'd be found. But um, this is one of those lineages where, like, the scrolls of authority are in a museum, right? So uh, whoever's supposed to be the head of this school wouldn't have what they're supposed to have. Or they would have something, and be able to back up historically uh, why those scrolls that are in that museum are are forgeries. They're they're not real, right? Mm. Um, so that's that's one thing, right? These things pop around. You know, one of the big things back in the eighties and um, the three lineages that are associated with the you know, three official lineages that are uh, associated with the Pujinkan, uh all fell under the umbrella of the Iga. And sometimes it's called the Iga school, but the Iga, Iga view, or Iga lineage, or Iga, or whatever you want to call it, right? Um was a collective of like 43 different Uha, okay? Hmm. Um, running in the Iga region, okay? Just like the Koga view was a collective of 51 or 53 Uha, or something like that running in the Koga uh, region, right? So apparently, yeah. you know, supposedly these these guys were, you know, uh, at odds with each other and, and things. And there were times during history when they, they worked together, like when Oda Nobunaga was assassinated and um, I think it was Hattori Hanzo uh, was credited with bringing uh, these groups together to actually protect um, uh, Tokugawa. Right, who was one of the major generals, um, to protect him, to get him back to his castle, and then he went on to uh, take over the country, and, you know, 100 years of his family ruling, they enforced peace and created the Japan, uh, pretty much that we see today. Um, and it's not like they got, you know, he got them all together. What he did was he negotiated a peace treaty so that some from both sides would help, but then the other ones who were still against it, they just agreed to disagree and just stay out of it, right? So they mm. agreed to not interfere and, and do anything. Whatever. So, uh, so you know, like back in the eighties, there was a there was a push that you know anybody that was that was doing things that looked different than what Sensei was teaching. You know, they they threw the umbrella out there that they were doing Koga school needs to, um, mm. which is that then. You know, we have to ask. Okay, so which school within Koga are, right. are are we talking about here, right? Because every every ninja school or ninja ryuha uh, has its own specialization, typically, right? I mean, we think about spy rings, or we think about, and that, that's what we're typically talking about, right? Uh, unless they were specifically uh, specialized in like guerrilla warfare, like like special forces guys. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, guerrilla raids and things like that. It was typically an information gathering network. And if you look in, uh, like the Bonson Shukai, uh, which means 10,000 rivers collected in the sea, uh, you know, there's, there's a co- kind of a combination of things in there, like strategies and, and whatnot. Uh, there are things for the gain-in, right? The, the field operatives to do. Uh, but there, there's also, uh, uh, there are, there are these different tactics, but if you look at some of the other schools, and this is where it gets really, really interesting, right? If you look at some of the other schools within the Bujinkan, right, they scream of Agnizu, right? But officially, right, they're not.
2: Hmm.
1: I'll touch on some of these things here a little bit. Uh, but either way, there are these names that fly around, and, and people are still pushing them, and, uh, you know, I... I uh, really respect the guys that are on like these, these Facebook uh need to oriented pages and they kinda toss this stuff around but this is one of those things that keeps the definition of need to very, very murky because, you know, there for a long time, especially in the eighties, anybody that said ninja anything, right, hmm. um was you know, was supposed to be an expert or whatever, but then once you start digging through historical things then then you run hmm. into problems. Right. So anyway, um so that's one thing, right? The other thing is that we have to understand that a um, Ninjoryu, right, we, we just give it a name. Sometimes the name was given, uh, you know, after the fact as they were documenting historical things. Sometimes it was, uh, you know, a family kind of tossed their hat in the ring to help uh, a given local warlord with certain things. So, you know, it may have only been a handful of people that were actually engaged in anything, but, you know, so it has a family name attached to it. Um, Hmm. uh, Sometimes, uh, 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 a so-called ninja ryuha was put together just for a specific mission or a specific time frame to uh, to accomplish something, right? And then it was disbanded. I think uh, Hmm. 47 Ronin. Now, the 47 Ronin weren't ninja right but their master had been killed based on deception from this other guy right and they found themselves masterless so they should have committed seppuku or whatever but they all kind of gathered around and decided that you know what we're going to kill this guy right uh, it'll be our last act and so you know a lot of folks have a hard time understanding why they, 47 ronin committed seppuku after they accomplished their goal but They they banded together as this group, and they actually kind of acted as ninja at certain points, right, where they were collecting information and being very stealthy and and, uh, befriending people to move inside, you know, and to to isolate this guy. They were acting very atypical of of samurai, but they were already, you know, masterless samurai. They were already kind of outed. They were already um, uh, nameless at that point. Right. So uh, they did their thing. Right. They accomplished the mission. And so sometimes the ninja families were like this. Not that they would have killed themselves afterwards. It was just one of those things where it was like a fleeting moment in history. Hmm. So, uh, you know, just different things like that. OK. Um, yeah, sometimes when we look at the history books, it, it might be difficult to see that there were ninja operating in certain areas there's, uh matter of fact one guy that uh, in a long distance training uh in my long distance training group uh he's in where is I Arkansas I think. Okay. Uh when he was a teenager, he started training with this one uh teacher who actually is in the family lineage of this uh, this, uh ninja family from the uh Ueno and uh Nagano region. Hmm. So uh yeah, of course, he didn't appreciate it that much when he was a teenager. I mean, it was just martial arts, right? Um, yeah. But there's this connection. And it's just this small family. That It was another one of those things where they of, you know, tossed their hat away and, and, uh, and help out. So there are some, you know, there were definitely some self-defense training things and all that, but there was also information gathering. And what? So um, so th- there's a so list. I mean, there's, there's a bunch of lists. Uh, you know, and, and went out to decide it much better because you know, they were operating in different areas. Uh, what I would do is just kind of answer his question, both from a Bujinkan perspective and from some of these now defunct lineage perspectives uh, where they, you know, the, their specialization was X, Y, Z, okay? Yeah. So within the Bujinkan, uh, you know, Tobakura view is like our most famous one because that's where the eighteen levels are and all that. It's the long lasting one. But uh there are two other uh lesser known ones and you know to say hasn't taught a lot on them um uh, openly, right? Um but there's little tidbits to be picked up here or there. Uh I guess I'm just lucky that I've been around since nineteen eighty. Not that I'm a historian, but uh, as we say, the budo winds can little things in my direction. Hmm. So um, hmm. one of them is called the Ryu, right, gyokshin. So uh, gyokshin is actually a contraction of gyokko shin, okay? So gyokshin, right? So it has the same beginning kanji as gyokko yu, right? And so uh I don't have specific validation on this. I just caught conversations and uh you know during classes and things. things were kind of tossed out and uh Yohin view may have been the back door, the ninja back door to uh the Gilko school, the Gilko view, right our oldest quote unquote samurai tradition, right. Um, and the reason for that belief right is that the Gyokoryu, for a long time was actually centered in the Iga region right um uh mount uh kumano uh which is um uh, uh near Nagano right uh and so uh, uh it would have had you know all these influences right. But this would not have been an unheard of kind of thing when um you know you look at things where you know socially the Bushi or the samurai, depending on what name was used in one era uh, they would have only been allowed to do certain things, only certain types of warfare would have been uh you know uh, allowed at their status and seen as honorable and stuff like that so uh it's quite possible that Yokushin uh you established as its own view, was still run by the Gilko school. Hmm. Uh, as a matter of fact, I have a citation. Let's just dig this thing out again. I'll find here. I have a citation. Uh, a little, sorry. Uh, oh, you still there? Mm-hmm. Make sure I'm not hanging up on anybody. Mm-hmm. Um my hat's. I
2: think that's right here. I'll put
1: the out on my ear. A right uh, cat. It's about the Joko with and uh, its connection to what's in Japan. There it is. Um, so we know about Taisuke Togapere, right? Uh, so the Kyoko, Kyoko uh, ninja system. Okay. Right? Um, so uh, all right. evolved for many generations and the There's not their after the Chinese refugee Uh Yeah. So a lot of these political exiles from China whatnot right would have been hiding out in the, the regions. So uh, hmm. a lot of the passed on. Um, the the Kumogakure view, right? Uh, Kumo Kumogakure view is uh, the other lineage that's in the Buddhad and uh, Kumo means uh cloud and Gakure means concealing, just like Togakure. Uh To is door and uh Gakure is concealing. So Togakure concealing door, Kumobakure concealing cloud, uh they're uh there are some references and things like that, that um, where Togakure school would have been more engaged, uh, not just with information gathering and things like that, based on, you know, the, the different training areas and stuff like that, but also in actual uh, guerrilla warfare, right, and actual combat operations. Kumogakure, uh, there's, there are some self-defense methods, but um, it, it seems like, their their training is more of an adaptation on other people's or other lineage things, right? Kind of like the Egon school. Pull in something from uh, another school, apply your principles to it, and have this thing. Uh, But Hmm. the thing that I I primarily have from the Kumagakure have to do with stealth, like the walking methods that we teach, uh, stuff like that. So uh, the Kumagakure school, it's believed was more of the um, and it was a later development as well. It's, it's actually younger than Day School, but it, it's believed that that's a, kind of an offshoot or uh, a branch of the Day School. Okay, mm-hmm. But it was mm-hmm. uh, more for just information. About it. So uh, you've been with me to Japan, and you've been over to Nagano, yeah. right? And you've mm-hmm. gone to uh, Temple, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, this last trip, I took some folks to... Uh, a 30 minute bus ride from Nagano Station. Oh, one second. Let me look at another note just so I can remember the minute.
2: Hmm.
1: Okay, so I took folks to Matsushito Castle, uh, hmm. which was actually established by Takeda Shingen. Um, so uh, a lot of folks who know their history know that. Uh, he took over a lot of land, a lot of area, uh, was really seen as kind of a, uh, what we might call those, call a progressive today, right? Um, he was mm-hmm. not acting honorably and just ruling over his area and protecting it from, uh, you know, outsiders or whatever. He was really, like, trying to open things up and, um, you know, became one you know, of Japan's treasure, Uh in spite of the way the Japanese normally think of this. But, uh, one of the big, uh, big battles, uh, pitted him against, uh, uh Kinshi, right? And so when we go over there, right, we go on, to, we go to Zenkoji Temple, and Zenkoji Temple is actually sitting in an original, uh, samurai town area. I mean, you have to go up mm-hmm. these cobblestones through these big gates, and, right, so there's all this stuff in there. Uh, Zenkoji Temple, uh, is, is, uh, kind of known now as Takeda's treasure, um hmm. because he stored a lot of uh Buddhist and, and uh, uh art uh kind of things there. Uh, mm-hmm. and now he's thinking uh, uh, national treasures and all that. But either way, um you now if you look at the history of the battle between uh Takeda and Kenshin, uh, you see things that just scream of like samurai uh honor. Like um, uh, the one-point battles when Kenshin, his entire army, almost to start death, right? They were out of supplies and things like that. And Takeda said, I'm not going to win this way. And he actually shipped, just sent over wagon loads of supplies, food and things like that, to Kenshin's uh, army so that he could defeat them honorably on the field of battle. So, you know, you look at things like that, you know, yeah, these guys are steered away from ninja. Except that, uh, the uh, Kaji Uryuu, right, who, um, founded by uh, this guy named uh, Kaji guy uh who was a, uh, a student of the founder of the Usugi view, right? Um, mm-hmm. And he's connected to the Hapuri view, right? Um, so uh the suri, uh, you know, in that direction. Uh, the Koyo Ryu, the Ninko and the Pikeda Ryu uh are all ninjutsu schools that were founded by Pikeda Singan for intelligence gathering. Right? Uh, they typically wow. used wandering monks and merchants as agents, right? So we're talking about strictly information gathering, right? Uh but there's also a Strictly female Kunuichi uh ninja branch that Shingen founded um, there was a uh, there was a retainer that he had on my notes. sorry about this um, Moritoko uhvi uh he was killed uh, at the Battle of uh Kan uh, uh and his widowed wife yome back in those days. Uh, you know they didn't use wedding rings and stuff like that. So when when a woman got married, they used this uh, this type of uh, a dye that went into water, and it was actually painted on their teeth. So their teeth were like a dark grayish black, right? Um, hmm. That sounds sexy and attractive. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so it was one of these things that when um, when a woman was widowed, she really had two options: kill herself and follow her husband into the afterlife, or become a nun. Right? Uh-huh. So, uh, so here's this um uh, uh, that kind of, she was left uh, in the care of her husband's uncle, who was Takeda Shingen, right? Uh-huh. He's this big warlord, right? Yeah, so, yeah. Um, so uh, he convinced her, uh, historically it says at his request, but he convinced huh. her that instead of becoming a nun, Right, uh, as people would have expected, that uh, she helped to support uh, his operations. So, what she did was she actually created a school, right? That on the outside looked like they were training mikko. You know what Miko are? They're uh, uh, female shrine attendants. They're huh. young girls uh-huh. you know, I'm supposed to be and all that, right? Uh, shrine attendants that assisted Shinto shrine uh, Shinto priests. Uh, in, you know, these different rituals and things like that, right? So she trained them, and what she did, because this battle had been raging for a long time, there were all these orphans running around, right? Parents had died during the battles and stuff, so uh she actually took these young girls in, and uh I mean, she used psychological manipulation and things like that, too, reminding them, you know, who, who their savior was, and what their life mm. before her was like, I mean, so it really bonded them to her, with a lot of loyalty, but, uh, their training really took on uh, three aspects. One was in uh, how to be a Miko, right, how to be this um, temple assistant, right, or the shrine assistant, right? And then another one, um, you know, once they got that handled, then uh, they were trained to uh, just kind of keep their ears open and listen for things, right? Um, Yeah. Just how to you know how to start conversations and gather information and all that, so kind of a first level spying kind of thing, right? But the first thing yeah. they did was develop, you know, their their job, their cover. So then they did this other thing, and then um, eventually they learned how to actually manipulate, how to uh, choose uh, messengers and couriers who would deliver uh, messages to. Uh, between Takeda and his generals and things, right? Uh, mm-hmm. and of course, you know, they're young girls, right? They're dressed as, as Shinto attendants and all that, so they pretty much had free reign in a country where um, women were just really not seen as anything other than, you know, domestic servants. Uh, worked out really well. But they, they, I mean, everything all the way up to uh, using their feminine charms uh, hmm. with the right people to to get information, right? So, uh, so that... Uh, I don't know that that one had a, a lineage name to it, but there's four, uh, three lineages, three ones with actual official names, and then this uh, Chiyome, right, from Suzuki, uh, who created this, this basically a spy school, right, that was uh, made up of nothing but females, so. Hmm. pretty cool stuff. Yeah. Um, let's see, what else? Got a couple other ones right here. Hmm. Uh, uh Fuma Nimpo, uh was the one that I was talking about before where this uh Fumo Kupato, uh, had uh, created this thing a long time ago, but is you know, the scrolls are in, in museums, right? Uh, but somebody had come out, like I said, in the eighties and, and said they were doing this thing. Uh but they were specialized in guerrilla warfare. So uh definitely, you know, hit and run combat groups, starting fires, that kind of thing. Uh is another which I had here. Most of these were uh were, were espionage kind of things. When they're either collecting information or they are uh they're oh, that was the other thing that the um that the the women did, Chiomi's uh, girls did. Um uh, they uh did what girls do, right? And they uh they talked to people, right? So what they mm-hmm, did was mm-hmm. uh knowing doing the normal girl chatter and passing on hmm. rumors Right they got yeah. really good at just starting just starting rumors, right sure, and uh you know so they were uh, the original
0: facebook. fake news the, yeah, that's right, <laughs> they were the
1: facebook of yesterday, right so or whatever right yeah uh, uh but you know disinformation and things like that uh the Nagoro school um and let's see the, the Negoro school uh and the Saiga school. Uh, they were specialized in firearms and explosives, right? So they were, they, were, they, were, they were demolition guys, right? Remember, this was during the time when samurai really, you know, they, they took to the to the flintlocks and stuff that the Portuguese uh, brought in originally. Um, actually, it was brought into the port of Tanagashima. And that only sticks in my head because the original flintlock long arms were called Tanagasima because they were named after the port that these things were... Uh, brought into so uh but uh you know the samurai took to them and then when they realized how easy it was for somebody who was just drafted from a village and put out as a frontline soldier with this thing right um how easy it was for them to take down a a trained samurai who you know had studied his entire life and was like third fourth generation uh warrior and, and all that kind of stuff right then they saw them as dishonorable things. Well, then the ninja said, uh, yeah, no, we'll, we'll hold on to those. So mm-hmm. uh, here's two lineages right here that are just, they were firearms and explosive specials. So they developed things like uh, landmines, all kinds of cool stuff, right? Wow. Uh, what else can we add here? <laughs> uh, yeah, the vast majority of them all died out, though, before um, the Meiji Restoration in 1858, so... Uh, but, again, you know, we can toss around names, but most of them, again, were just kind of put together quickly um, for missions or, you know, Takeda Shingen had his. Um, once he, um, once Takeda Shingen, uh, uh, not Takeda Shingen, I'm sorry, once Atori Hanzo, right, who was head of the Iga school uh, and the Urobochi clan, I think, right, that's the clan he came from. Uh, he mm. actually rose in the ranks and actually to to oversee the Iga, uh, schools, the Iga clamp, the, the, you know, the collective, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he was the godfather. Anyway, so, um, <laughs> so anyway, uh, uh, once he actually, you know, banded the Iga and Koga ninja together to get, uh, Tokugawa back where he needed to be, and Tokugawa rose to power or took over power, um, yeah. Hanzo Hattori, actually, you know, by doing this good thing, actually, was the linchpin to be the demise of his own system, right? For
2: right. the majority of
1: needed to, as well as his own family, because uh, one of the first things that Tokugawa did, uh, not Tokugawa, uh, Tokugawa did, was hired mm-hmm. Hanzo Hattori's direct family to be the uh, the groundskeepers basically yeah. the inner security, right? Right. Uh, you know, because we were at Nijojo, right? And that's one uh-huh. of the lessons you get when I take you to Nijo Castle. So, um, yeah, so he hired them to do that, so they became kind of the inner guard. Um, but, you know, they don't. They, they, you know, their skills weren't used on a regular basis after that, so everything just kind of died out, right? Yeah. Uh, as a matter of fact, you know, Hatsuki Hanzo, if you look him up in the conventional history books, he's not identified as a ninja. You You might see it more now, like from the 60s and 70s on, because he's brought more and more of this stuff out and other historians have come take a holistic thing. But from the original context, he was only ever identified as a great samurai from Iga, and Hmm. uh, was, uh, the title that he was given uh, under Tokugawa was his security advisor. So, uh, you know, different things. So I don't know if this is helpful as, as kind of a broad stroke thing. We really don't have that much time to go through, you know, a lot more than this. But um, everybody would have developed their own weapons, their own strategies. Uh, even the uh, when I, when I talked about certain lineages, uh, having more uh, ninja stuff or having some stuff kind of into that, um, even our Den school, right, uh, Den is actually the den part was added, when the Takeda family, right, the descendants of Takeda Shingen, right,
0: Mm -hmm. um,
1: gave uh, Takamatsu Sensei um, the Kukishin school, right, roles, or Mm -hmm. Soke-ship to to Kukishin, right, so uh, that's why a lot of Kukishin people are pissed off, because of this stuff, right, so Mm -hmm. at least from Takamatsu on, ended up slipping into that, but it was actually there beforehand, um, so... Uh, while there were may or may not have been family names, there were groups that were put together because if you look in the Kukushin Scrolls, you'll see things under uh, the Heho, the the, the uh, uh, battlefield strategy for mm-hmm. um, uh, inciting confusion by starting fires, and this guerrilla warfare kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, but uh, uh, Takamatsu-sensei was actually, uh, he was instrumental in translating the, the Kukishin Scrolls uh, because, again, this stuff wasn't being used, and this historian uh, wanted to, or this family member wanted to reinstate the history and fame and all that for the Confucian School. This is back in the, I don't know, 30s, 40s, 50, something like that. And uh, uh, so uh, he was a friend of Takamatsu's father who said, oh, my son's into all this stuff. And, you know, he understands hmm. history and everything. Maybe, Maybe he'll do it for you. So uh, Takuma uh you know, retranslated all this stuff and, uh, you know, gave it to the standard family and for doing that, because now he had all the secrets, he had all the stuff, right? But the reality was most mm. of them, even the ones that were teaching, had no idea what they were looking at because, uh, you know, I mean, they were doing the techniques very karate-like and
2: you know, mm. nobody
1: really understood the, the things, right? So, uh, but anyway, as a thank you, they... Or, you know, Kukishin School, uh, and I think he also got that from Mizuda Sensei. Maybe I don't know. I have to look at my notes again. Uh, mm. But uh, one of the other reasons that Kukishin, uh the, the Takeda family, or not Takeda family, people in the Kukishin School are upset at us is because Takuma Sensei actually made two sets of books. Right? Mm. He translated a general set um of you know what was typically written uh that was you know here's here's the stuff, right? But mm-hmm. like sidebar notes and little little extras that were in the mm-hmm. scrolls or whatever, um, you know, we had those. They were never passed on. Mm-hmm. So uh you know, but he's a ninja. I mean, you know, don't trust the ninja. They paid him a lot of money to do it, which is code really funny. <laughs> uh, so but either way yeah so the so the stuff is in there, but we have to also remember that uh you know they, uh, as as each school was integrated together, right, with Togapari or with Gilko or whatever um we would have each of those lineages Samurai or not would have taken on more and more uh ninja flavor, but yeah. you know there's there's many different types of digitism, right, what is it specifically that you're doing? Right? Are you creating confusion? Are you just collecting information? Are you, uh, you know, blowing things up and burning things down or, you know, whatever, right? So yeah. uh, there's many different types of need to do. Uh, just, you know, and we've talked about that uh, in the past, right? Even if you just look at the family breakdown of joning, tuning, and gaining, there's three types of need to do right there um, without even leaving, you know, leaving the family like to a school. But right. uh hopefully that was was helpful at least a little bit to uh to Josh. So if anybody's any, uh, any any questions or comments or things you've come across uh in your studies and you want to you know toss those in uh i am all ears. I just can't take it out of the lecture probably.
0: reminds me of a great uh a great visual that you had uh up at, I know it was up at the uh the old dojo I don't know if it's gone up at at your new one but um I can remember early on in, in training, there seeing the uh, the kind of ninja family tree that you had up on on one of the walls, oh, which I thought yeah. was great yeah. to really show from the student's perspective how all of this links back uh, along all of the different family lines that have kind of come into play. Yeah. That that was really cool.
1: Right. Yeah. What uh, what Eric's talking about is uh, one of some of my friends who really dove into the history. Right. Uh, dug out all these connections. Uh, and found you know all these grandmasters and of course you know people would have been killed during wars sometimes multiple soke were or multiple people were given soke ship by any one soke you know people are like well you you know have one grandmaster assigned five other people as the grandmaster well you could follow the map down and see where there would have been like major turmoil so his hope was I I give five or eight or whatever people soke ship hopefully one of these people will survive. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then other ones, right, you find out that, uh, uh, you know, one person was given Silke's ship, but he put his own little twist on things or two people were given. And so one person decided they were going to carry it on as given. And the other one, because of his experience or because of special needs or whatever, uh, made the adaptations. And so there was a off, Right. So, uh, you know, that could be a possibility with the Gyokushin school as well, that, you know, they just weren't needed for uh, battlefield warfare, and that's what the Gyokushin school did. Uh, so here's this thing, right? And it's quite mm-hmm. possible, too, that the Gyokushin u is a ninja school, but historically, it's, or it's gone down historically in history as a samurai school, and who's there to challenge it, Right. Uh, the Kukishin the Kukishin school itself, right? There's a lot of uh, a lot of debate about that, and uh, you know something that the Kukishin school was really trying to. I think with with redoing these scrolls was really trying to redo because um, they actually came from a port region, and um, you know, the Japanese are big on names. You know that, right?
2: Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So
1: one way to gain uh, gain status or to to move to a higher class is for somebody in power to give you something that that will do that, right? So uh, say would do that for friends. Um, he gave lots hmm. of friends uh, uh, certificates of ship to Togakure's hmm. school or whatever, right? They weren't mm-hmm. martial artists. They would even train a little bit, right? Uh, but he huh. didn't do it because he was worried about ruining the, the tradition or whatever, He did it because his friend was in a lower-class level kind of thing, and it gave him a credential. Uh So, you know, uh, and a lot of of times Westerners, especially these guys that want to proclaim themselves as purists, have a real hard time with this, right? Because suddenly now, oh, my God, you know, uh, why would somebody do that? Well, Hmm. to dig far enough back in the tradition history, what you find out is that they were actually pirates to begin with, uh, which starts to explain some of their uh, kamae, like, uh, mm. like Ichi no kamae, right? Mm-hmm. Where the mm-hmm. heels are together. It looks like an Ichimonzu, but your heels are together, right? Why the hell would you do that? Well, you know, you might have an injury, so you can't do Hicho, uh, correctly. So there's a possibility, but that kamae was actually developed to be used where? You know this. On a boat. On a boat, on decks of ships, right? Because if it's uh, you know, if it's swaying and bobbing in one direction and that's your power line, you're good to go. But if it's in the wrong direction, you know, and you're in each mode of your Sagan or whatever, you're going to be off balance all the time. So by bringing yourself into a single point, it allows you to adapt to the to the rolling of the of the deck. Uh, it's a great one
0: to practice if you're riding mass transit. We'll just throw that out Absolutely. There. We practice that's, that's that. That's the best
1: time. And all the time, right? Yep. You bet. Yep. You bet. So, uh, but anyway, uh, at a certain point, the, this uh, this family, right? This pirate family actually helped um, hmm. in in a very significant battle. And again, I don't have the details in front of me at the moment, but helped in a very very significant way. And then they were uh, given a name, right? And and reidentified as a warrior uh, family. So you know, hmm. the winners get to write the history books. Right? Right. So, you know, so anyway, so we could say that, that that whole thing started out, right? So it's not surprising that guerrilla warfare tactics are embedded in the Christian scrolls because they would have started out as basically guerrillas, right? Yeah. So, and I don't mean the monkeys, I mean, you know, uh, guerrilla <laughs> fighters, right? Call pirate, call pirates, call them whatever you want. Guerrilla fighters are pirates at sea and pirates are guerrilla fighters on land. So, right. <laughs> it is what it is right yeah, so anyway, um, how I know that
0: that's that was great yeah. now and i i know another thing we wanted to hit on, we've got about fifteen minutes left to to kind of do this was somebody had asked about elements for demonstrations, which I thought was great, you know that's a great question. We haven't really hit on something like that uh before, but uh you've done many of them I've gotten a chance to be a part and help out at a few uh not only are they, they fun, but they're a great element for, you know, attracting attention to the school and, and getting, you know, new signups, things like that. But so if there's anybody out there that's looking to, you know, either do something like this, uh, maybe they have a school or a training group and they're looking to, to get some more people their way, what are, what are some good suggestions on elements to add for, for demonstrations?
1: Yeah, so I, I think I know what, and this this came from uh, one of my guys, Ian Prescott. He's a one student. So this was actually posted to our uh, Facebook private group for the uh, the inner circle online uh, training group, my, my law business guys. So uh, he has a training group, and so the question was when putting together a demonstration for the public, right, what are some good elements to include? And I, I think I understand, I think I understood the, the conventional or the, the typical question, which is, you know, what should we be showing folks that will impress them enough that they want to join our school, okay? So that really is where things start, right? Um so I'll talk about some things that, that we did um, you know, when you were around and, and done these things because, you know, I started out off like everybody else. When we get out there and we sell our stuff and, you know, whatever, we, we think that's going to impress everybody. And uh, sometimes one or two people came up and talked to us, and other times nobody did and whatever. But we never had, like, a deluge, or, you know, like mm-hmm. a major you know, storm of a few prospects until we started to make some changes. And you were around when some of these things started happening, right, where mm-hmm. we uh, brought out a 22 pistol, where right? there's blanks, so kicked off the show with a with a gun disarm and the gun going off as, you know, they would have been pulling a trigger and you're missed, right? Those types yeah. of things, right? So I'll talk about that mm-hmm. afterwards. But um, what I really started off with, uh, with for, for uh, Ian is to make sure that he's clear. And this is what I want everybody to understand, right? Um, unless you're an, uh, a megalomaniac, right? And this is, you're just doing these demonstrations to impress everybody, right? And to just be a show off, right? Which really paints a bullseye on you, right? I mean, mm-hmm. why would you do that, right? Right. Um, what you're doing is you're agreeing to do these things or you're seeking out opportunities to do these things to promote your training group to get these students in, right? So it's a marketing avenue. Whether you like that business term or not, that's what it is. You're promoting mm-hmm. or highlighting your academy, right, or your dojo or your train, right? So, just, and these were just some quick thoughts that I rattled off uh, for him, but I thought, you know, once I did this for him, and that's why I told you, I think this would, this would have been a great thing. So oh, here we are, right? So first things first, right? Rem- remember that you're there. Uh, uh, something's breaking through, so I need to put things back in. Uh, lecture. There we go. Okay, sorry about that. Okay, so first things. remember that you're there to highlight your programs and the benefits to
0: others. Yeah.
1: So talk about those things so that they get it, so they understand the benefits, right? You need to be speaking other people's listen because the only thing that matters to that person when they're looking for self-defense or martial arts or whatever are the key reasons or the key benefits that they want to get out of that training, right? So... Yes, they're going to get everything because it, it comes part and parcel with the training. But if you don't mention those things, then what you're telling them is, we don't have what you're looking for. Okay? These are not the droids you're looking for. So, so, uh, so make sure that, um, you know, make sure that you're focusing on that. And I'll, I'll touch on that again, uh, further down my list here. But, uh, so remember that it's, it should be considered, to a lead generation activity, right? You're looking for prospective new students, Okay? Because I think that's what everybody's everybody's doing, right? So then make sure that you're set up to collect information from prospective students so even if they're not ready to commit to you that day, that you can follow up with them and they don't just walk back out into the world and get caught up in their life and then only remember that they want to do martial arts Once every couple of weeks, couple of months, couple of years, whatever, right? Uh, On our student application, when somebody comes into the school, there's a question that says, "How long have you considered taking martial arts?" And the average answer on there is, "Do you know? Do you know what the average answer is?" No. It's about a year. Wow. Okay. So, you know, when you do these these activities, when you put up a flyer, when you uh, do something like this, right? A podcast, or you uh, put out free ebooks like I do, or you write an article, or you do a demonstration, or you talk to somebody. Right? You don't want to come across sounding like a used car salesman because that just turns people off. But you do want to move yeah. them farther down the decision making chain or the action taking, yeah. uh, you know, uh, sidewalk, so that they're closer to actually taking action on it, right? So each one of these things should be to do that. But you have to understand, too, that based on somebody's schedule, finances, all kinds of things, now might not be the best time. Or the fact that they don't know you well enough and may not trust you enough yet. So what happens when they disappear out into the world and they forget Mm -hmm. your information, right? Do you have theirs? So uh, the second big thing was just to make sure you have a lead collection system in place during this demonstration so you have multiple ways to touch, you know, touch points with people. So one might be to have a an entry box for X number of free classes, even if it's one free class. What I mm-hmm. typically do is I have an entry box where I give away six-month basic program, okay? So people wow. put their names in there, and I yeah. pull for one six-month program. You'd be surprised at the number of people that don't come in and claim it. But Hmm. I pull it and I announce it, right? But we also give a free introductory program, a three-class program, to everybody that bothered to fill out their information and toss it in there. Hmm. We call them up and say, you know, hey, you know, we pulled a winner and uh," and, whatnot. If it it is them, we let them know. And if it Mm -hmm. isn't, we say, unfortunately, that was someone else. However, we've decided to give everyone, you know, everyone who bothered to take the time to enter for this, a uh a free three uh class introductory trial program. Uh mm-hmm. you know, you can use this for yourself or someone else. Uh you know, would this be something that uh you're still interested in doing, right? If they say yes, then you try to set up their first class and, and you go from there, right? Because yeah. somebody who's interested and may talk to you about being interested is farther back down the line, they're farther down the ladder than the person who actually stepped up and took a brochure or a flyer or something, and they're farther down the ladder or farther down the line than somebody that actually stepped up and gave you their name and contact information, whether it's to win a prize or whatever. Now, that's one thing, okay? Um, you can have those brochures or flyers or business cards or whatever, right, or better yet, something that actually gets value and shows that you're an educator and you want to help somebody whether they join your school or not, right? Um, you could have a list of self-defense tips or safety tips or whatever on a card. Like we have one, uh, we call it a Bully Buster card, and it gives twelve ideas for defending against a bully without fighting. Right? So parents hmm. can give it to their kids, just a little card, and carry with yeah. them and all that. Right? Because no one thing is works for everything. Right? right? Number twelve is actually taking up a martial arts stance, but there, there in leads the, the bluff and the segue hmm. to. If that doesn't work, you better have something to back it up, right? Mm-hmm. So here's this thing, right? So we have these things that we give out, right? Um, and so it has our contact information on it on the back or whatever, right? And that's there for folks that may be interested in what you're doing, but they're on a time crunch, so they can't watch the whole demo, they can't wait till the end to talk to you or whatever, so they can quickly grab something and, and head off with the information. So at the very least, there's information for interested people, even if they don't want to engage with it. Okay? There's this midway kind of thing where you're kind of running like a contest. <coughs> and what's <once> it any skin off your teeth if you give away some classes? Yeah. Because you're running the classes anyway and you get this person in and if they're doing a basic thing or a trial thing, you know, if they really like it, they're gonna upgrade into your full thing anyway, they're gonna start paying you tuition or for classes or whatever, right?
0: Right. So right.
1: it's it's no so different, right? So uh, so that's a midway kind of thing. And then, um you want to have a prospect sheet on a clipboard for after your demo. So when you're chatting with folks, right, okay, you can actually walk up to people, right? Um, and, uh, you know, so you had this thing out for a free, uh, six month kind of thing or whatever, but some people don't like to do those things, right? Some people yeah. don't think that they're ever going to win anything, right? So I also have these free week, uh, like VIP guest passes, you know about those,
2: mm-hmm. yeah, we've done, yeah them, I remember right? those.
1: Yep. so, and even if you're not somebody that that you know can walk up and just start talking to people, what we did was we made up a five question survey about what people think about martial arts, when they think of martial arts in the area, what you know what school names come to mind, that kind of thing, because we were really trying to gather information about where we were in people's minds, right, how close we were to top of mind and all that. one of the reasons why in two thousand and four we went from Miller's martial arts. Bujinkan Kuryu Dojo to Warrior Concepts International, right? Because people didn't know the difference. One of the questions is, when you think of these things, uh, do you know how they're different? Nope. They all sound the same to me. Even though, mm-hmm. you know, one's Burns Taekwondo, one's the Shaolin Kung Fu School at Chinan uh, Park, or whatever it is, at the YMCA, there was us and some other ones. To them, we were all doing the exact same thing. So I created different hmm so that right. looked different right but yeah. in exchange for taking the survey we would give them this VIP pass and so of course that gave us this way to get this thing into their hands for a free week and when we gave it to them um, we would of course try to collect their information and schedule a class at the very least they were walking away with a with a with a guest pass thing right um, yeah. at the best for us we collected information and scheduled a class uh, schedule their first intro class, and if they didn't, the midpoint in there was we got their information and we'd follow up by mailing them information or making a phone call or whatever, right? So there's three touch points there already, right? There's this thing where they don't even have to, you know, do anything more than just get some information, right? There's the uh, giving you the name and information so you can contact them, and then there's the actual, you know, attempt to say, hey, look, we've got a class coming up on Thursday, at uh, 7.30, Does that work for you, right? Come in, you can try it out, no harm, no foul, even if you're just giving one one trial class, right? It's a way to actually get in there and uh, and do that. And what's ironic mm-hmm. to me is that, you know, there's lots of folks that are just afraid to talk to other people, you know? Yeah. And I got to tell you, it's been my experience that 99.9% of the people that show up to watch your demos are more afraid of you than you should be of them because they're afraid you're going to kick their butt if they use the wrong terminology or whatever. And the irony to me is you hear these martial artists that are running training groups that are supposedly teaching people how to be strong, confident, disciplined, and all that, and how to you know, how to be fearless in the face of some jack wagon who wants to remove you from the world, but they can't walk up and talk to a stranger and say, hi, my name is Jim. Uh, I run this martial arts school up the street or whatever. Um, this time of year, we, uh, we're giving everybody in the area a, a free trial pass for one, two, weeks a week, whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, have you ever thought about taking martial arts? So they can't do that because, you know, I don't think it was selling. You're giving them something, right? Yeah. So anyway, so there's that, right? Um, have a project suit. I And I, again, I told him, I know this, is all, this all sounds like marketing. Uh, so, you know, what about the martial arts element? So here's the thing, right? It's been proven that no one wants to see a bunch of guys beating up on each other again and again and again, right? Except maybe other guys that are Mm -hmm. looking for tough guy stuff, right? Maybe. Um, uh, It's just, it's boring, right? Uh, Very few are going to understand the science behind what you're doing unless you explain it. So you want to do that, right? But there's been some studies that have been done across the board for, you know, they're done almost every year, uh, the martial arts when it comes to demos, to see what people are interested in seeing. And there's three big things that really get people to stay and watch your demo, right? One is women beating up on men, right? So the <laughs> woman's the defender and she's trashing guys, right? Number two is kids beating up on men, right? So the guy's <laughs> trying to duck the kid, kid trashing the guy, right? And the last one is border brick breaking, right? So great. But that's the difficult part for us because, you know, this is it. And for a lot of folks, if you don't have women, if you don't have kids, or you don't do breaking, now what? Right? So, you just keep moving down the list, right? So, uh include weapon based techniques. We started off all of our demos after we figured out as they say in uh internet, guru speak, after we cracked the code, right? Um, <laughs> we started off the technique with a gun to the back defense, right? And it was just this turnaround gun disarm kind of thing, but um as soon as the defender moved and it was risky for the defender, right? Because you don't you know, you don't screw this thing up. But yeah. um we had a twenty two pistol with a blank in it. And, you know, people are milling around, they're waiting for us to start, whatever, right? I promise you, when that blank went off, what happened? <laughs> Everybody, Everybody was, was paying, paying attention. attention. <laughs> Everybody's paying attention, right? But, you know, they were trying to catch up to what was going on because by the time they heard it, responded, and paid attention, we're already beating the snort out of the gun wielder and taking it down, right? People are cheering and all that. So not that you have to do those kind of things, but you can do knife defense, club defense, whatever. Make it applicable to today's world, even if you're doing the most traditional things, ease into the traditional things or do what we did and do modern self-defense problems and pepper it with traditional things. And for god's sake don't don't throw a bunch of foreign language at it, right? If they can't understand it, then they're afraid that they're going to talk to them going the place, and most people, even the most confident people, aren't going to want to feel like they don't know what's going on because they're afraid that they you know if they don't know the language, uh, it's not going to work for them. I just saw an ad for a for a school I think it was a, a martial arts school it was a, a website. Um, it was for the Penn State Karate Club or Taekwondo Club or whatever, right? Hmm. And it's, I mean, it started out well, right? You don't have to have any experience. You know, you just have to be be committed. Uh, You know, you don't have to uh, worry about not understanding things. We will take care of that by making sure you do every technique a thousand times. Well, just turn them off. So they could have been going, (laughs) yeah, okay, yeah, okay, I can be overweight, I can be out of shape, I can never have done martial arts. A thousand times, even if you're gonna make somebody do something a thousand times. Jesus Christy. for the average person who drives yeah. up to the drive up it's window, right? Not oh my sound God. appealing. Yep. Yeah, so you just you just took something that was fairly decent and went, you know, we're the tough guys and if you can't do it like this, screw you. So what you're doing is just pushing everybody away that would would have been interested because they're not you.
2: Right? Yeah. Right.
1: Uh what else? Um Show the small person defending against large person. That's a big thing in the self-defense world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's easy to win if I'm the big guy, right? But most of the people, your your best prospects are people that are worried about losing, right? Either they're not fast enough, strong enough, big enough, or skilled enough. Either way, they're the underdog. It is just perfect for teaching that, right? So yeah. communicate that thing. Uh, show multiple attacker defenses. Again, it's an overwhelmed situation. Just show that kind of thing, right yep. um what we did was we did some traditional things, right We actually fabricated uh samurai armor and we would dress people up in a ninja outfit and a samurai outfit and do uh spear on nage, uh spear on katana or we would do something with blinding powder and and throwing stars and you know stuff like that right That wakes people up to the brings in, in, in uh, an element of theatrics right. right. Um, you show anything else, right? But uh, here's the big thing, right? Uh, Don't throw up on the crowd. And I don't mean don't (laughs) be nervous and throw up, right? What I mean is don't get out there and try to impress them with everything that you know, right? Because they may walk away from your demo and go, well, crap, I don't have to go to class. I'll just remember those techniques, which you and I know that they won't. But, you know, don't get out there and throw all that kind of stuff around. What you need to talk about is the benefits and all that. Because in the beginning, nobody cares what they're going to be doing. They know it's going to be some kind of martial arts style. They don't care what they're going to be able to do or nothing what they're going to be learning and doing. They just care that what they're learning and doing will save their ass when they need it or will make them more confident, handle their anger management problems, whatever those things are. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, make sure you're not driving people away uh, by just tossing all that stuff around, Right.
0: And people can only absorb so much at a time, anyhow, for something so far outside of what they're used to anyway.
1: Yeah, and so what really matters is to them, in their head, right, just three things. Do you offer what I'm looking for, right? Does it look doable, relatively safe, and enjoyable? Because remember, if you're looking for the adult crowd, one of their biggest concerns is, are you going to hurt me in class and I'm not going to be able to go to work? And if I can't go to work, I don't get a paycheck, and now I can't support my family. So yeah. careful coming across as a tough guy because tough guy schools generally get the guys who have non-career jobs, who are okay with jumping around if they get fired, and it's still more adolescent play. And I'm not knocking that mentality. That's just not. If you're looking for professional, mature thinkers, and that's you know that's the uh, the forty to sixty-five range, right? Yeah. Um, and if you're going to get ones in their thirties and all that kind of stuff too. And the younger ones that you get, they're already going to have that mindset. You know, you know the typical people we attracted, and the young mm-hmm. guys that had that you know we you called young dumb and full of cum kind of attitude where they just You know, they wanted to hit but not get hit. Um, They didn't stick around very long because there was too much science to learn. There were too many. You know, it wasn't just getting together and thumping on each other like Fight Club, right? Right. And uh, the other thing they're concerned about is, will they be able to do it right now, or do they need to feel? Do they, even if they don't have to? Did you make them feel like they need to get in shape? They need to be twenty years younger. They, you know, whatever. Okay, so. Think about that, right? Um, do some storytelling. Don't just do technique after technique after technique. Engage them, if possible, by asking questions like, by a show of hands, how many of you have ever been attacked?
2: Mm-hmm. Okay?
1: Uh, because that's an important. And then, you know, you can feed that back. Well, that's what I do because of my experience. You can feed mm-hmm. that back, okay? So even if, no- even if nobody puts a hand up, right, um, you could say it's a really important thing to think about because uh, while – Anybody can get a black belt for learning things. How many people can teach you how to defend yourself from a situation they've actually been in and used what they're teaching? You? Right? Right. Fact, I mean, so yeah. that's my spin. You do it the way you need to, right? Um, you know, you could ask how many of you are concerned about being attacked. Then maybe some hands might go up, right? Um, yeah. What kinds of attacks are you worried about most? you could leave the entire demo off with that and then just demo the answers or some answers to those questions. If for nobody else you gave direct one-on-one value to the people who had the concern, right? You already, started, you already started telling them without using the words, we have what you're looking for because I just gave you answers for your concerns, right? So either way, I mean, I, I know I threw a bunch, of, a bunch of at you. Hopefully it didn't feel like I threw up on like it. But um, <laughs> you, need, you need to start from the position of why are you doing the demo. If you're promoting or highlighting your group and trying to gain new members, then put things in place so that you can, uh, you know, you can identify and get information about and then later contact these people. Don't think you're signing them up at the fair. They want to leave yeah. the demo or watch the next demo or go on and get their funnel cake or whatever there, yep. you know, or if it's at the mall or whatever, right? Your mall was an interruption of them coming in the door, heading to the store they were heading to, or going from one store to another store and they happened upon you. Right? right? A demo is an interruption in an overall larger event or activity or venue. So don't assume you're signing people up at the at the demo. If it happens, fantastic. But you have to yeah. have things in place to gather people's information.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So hopefully hopefully that was helpful.
0: That's great. Well, that kind of brings us to the end of our time here, uh, but we've got maybe uh, a minute uh, if we want to try to open it up for any other final questions. If they're out there, I don't see anything on the web, website.
1: Well, let me put it back into interactive mode because it looks like Josh got in after I answered this question, so he's going to have to listen uh the recording. Hi, Josh. How are you? Hi. How are you? Thanks for taking the uh, Hey, no worries, man. Um so let me look over here on the Q and A side. Uh, do, 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 do. Josh, you sound tired. Of course, you just had a brand new baby boy, so uh, oh, is it catching congrats. up already. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, <laughs> yes, that was uh, very very perceptive. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> yes. Doesn't take long, does it? They're like the Chinese water no. soldiers, They just wear you down. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I don't see anything else on the other side. Josh, do you have anything else before we wrap this up?
0: Nope. Nope. I'm just making a note Josh is tired. Mr. Miller has a cold.
1: We can make some
0: inroads.
1: (laughs) (laughs) People like an attack now, right?
0: (laughs) Yeah, so just a quick announcement.
1: Don't forget uh, we've got some uh, openings uh, in a couple of our programs. The links are on the website uh, there, the Ninja Mind course uh, the online platinum program. And we have our fall camp coming up. Uh, cool. the dates are November 3rd, 4th, and 5th. Uh, the third is actually, a, uh, if you get in early enough for that, you can do some training with the regular classes that are going on. Uh, but we start at 8 PM. So there's an 8 to 10 PM session, or you could just get some extra sleep and prepare yourself for the next day. Uh, cause we're training from like nine to five on Saturday and Sunday. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, if you can make it in for that, that would be great. Right now, we have an early bird special going out, It'll save you like seventy-five to a hundred bucks off of uh, the weekend's tuition. Uh, if you want to make it for that, so uh, we still call it a camp, but we're at the dojo. We do do we do go to some outdoor venues, but we're not actually at a camp camp because the camps we were using just got way too expensive and way too poor on their service because they were catering our meals and things like that. So. Uh, but we do go to outdoor venues and all that, and, and I think so that you're not always training uh on this smooth, even floor in an open space, right? I do what Hutsmith said, oh, but Tuck did with Hutsmith today, and we'll take you to parks and all that, and put you in trees and, and under low-hanging things and all that. You still have to do your stuff. So, cool. All right. All right. So uh, excellent. Good talking to you, if you, even if it's just once a week. Yeah. And um, yeah, let these people get back to their lives.
0: Thank you, everybody, for joining us uh, on this episode of KUDEN. Please watch the uh, KUDEN page. Like the uh, Facebook page if you haven't already, and uh, you'll get posts and information about the next show and when this show's uh, you know, replay podcast goes up. So great way to connect with us. But uh, thanks, everybody, and stay safe. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to KUDEN, the podcast for self-defense and martial arts news, interviews, techniques, and history. For more information on upcoming martial arts seminars, camps, and classes with Sheehan Miller, or to submit a question or discussion topic to the show, call 570-884-1118 or visit warrior-concepts-online.com.